Welcome to In Search of a Cubby, the podcast. Hi, this is Marjorie Claproot. I am constantly in search of a cubby. My theory is you either have one or you don't. And to paraphrase the incomparable Robert Frost, that makes all the difference. Now here's your host, Margie Claproot. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Do you love that music we came in with? That's a little hint. There's this beautiful music bed that our guest wrote, performed, and he's going to be with us, Wild Horse Sun by Adam Yass. But first, I want to say thank you for joining us. This is going to be so much fun. I'm Margie Clapper. Hope you come in, uh, join us every week. In Search of a Cubby is something you know. You may not know you know it, but you know it. And we'll give you all the information on that on how you can find In Search of a Cubby, the beginnings of my book and the continuation of our podcast here. So for today, though, I want to sort of set this up and just (laughs) relate to you as coming out of this horrific experience, whatever we want to call it, for the last 15, 16 months, all of my friends and everything that I hear and everything that I want to hear is about things that we celebrate, things we did during isolation that made us feel good, places we went. Aren't you zoomed out? But wasn't it the best connection to get back to your family and friends? Zooming, cooking. My husband, for those of you that have listened before, my husband, Chris Benazola, is a fabulous chef. He taught me a lot during this whole COVID thing so that I could spend some time doing something constructive and not make myself crazy. And one of the most universally mentioned connections that everybody has on making themselves feel good and feel cozy and feel like you have a cubby around you and you're safe, at least for now you're safe, is music. I love music. And that's why I'm so excited with our guest today. I was one of the lucky ones. I grew up in a house where there was music. We didn't have much else. But as we moved around from apartment to apartment, we'd always go back to my grandmother's house and she had a piano. Not everybody played well. I sucked at it. (laughs) My father, when he was sober, he was a great pianist. My grandmother was a great pianist. But we had great music around and record players always and our kids, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you're really lucky, somebody you know and love will grow up to know music, play music, write music, and guess what? Learn how to perform and make a living at being a musician. So without further ado, uh, welcome my guest. He is amazing. He's a Renaissance man. He's handsome. He's talented. He's beautiful, uh, and he's also part of my family. He is Adam. Yes, hey, Adam. Hello from the well, West Coast. Wait a minute. I want to give you a round of applause. I want to bring in our producer, who is also an extraordinary man because he shares your last name. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, you know that guy. Is yeah, David. Yes. I know yeah. Him. Best Watch. Note. He'll give himself a big round of applause. Best. Okay. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> yes, I'm just Adam. He has his brother and. Podcast producer guy. Yes, that's true. Isn't this great? It's been my dream always. For you guys that know my political work and my work in radio and TV, I always have family around. It's what brought me into this world. It's what made me what I am. And it's the place that I always go for the best advice and the best love. And so it's great to have Dave is behind the control booth, but Mm -hmm. Edge Badge, my beautiful Edge Badge that I've called (laughs) you forever. Does anyone else call you Edge Badge? No. But that's that's what makes it so special. <laughs> Thank you for letting me do that. 
I love it. It's so great to have you here. You're you're in San Francisco. I know you've got a busy day. You've got a recent single that you've released that I want to talk about. That was the Wild Horse Sun that you guys heard on the way in. We'll play a little bit more of it during the show. But mm-hmm. I'm so happy to have you here. How is life after the COVID out there in San Francisco? Well, first of all, thank you for framing my existence as having a lot of things to do because um, <laughs> this is the most important thing on my agenda for the day. <laughs> after this, I'll pick up my daughter and I'll make dinner. And Yay. that's the extent <laughs> of it for the most part. Things are good. Things are opening up, of course. You know, I'm busy working on music, being a dad. I have the summer off for the most part because I work at a school. So, what a great thing. Yeah. So how do you juggle good. all that? Things are good. Yeah, things are uh, great. Let's talk about how you got out there, though, because I want to know this, this most recent uh, release that you've got really has me excited and everybody excited because you went and did what you dreamed of doing a lot of us don't get to do that I did it wanted to be president didn't make it but I can always say hey (laughs) I've been on the ballot nine times you are a lover of music but let's can we go back to the beginning and talk about you when you were a little kid yeah. You not only understood, for some reason, you were born with an understanding of music and what it meant to your soul and your expression. And I've got videos and cuts of you since you were old enough to walk. But you also understood the concept of the cubby, which is what makes having you here on the show today so perfect because you, you knew how to make yourself safe and you came from a place. Tell me about the first time, go back as early as you can remember, that music, all of a sudden, you knew meant something much more than just a recording? Well, you know, it's hard to pinpoint the true genesis of my love for music. It, it seems to have been a gradual process over the course of my life, but music was always in our house. I remember we had a communal space, this living room on Country Lane in Sharon, Massachusetts. For and all we, of our listeners that were there, you know. That's right. And we, you know, I just remember listening to records you know, the Beatles are the thing that stick, they stick out as being on the turntable the most. But we were very much an 80s family. We listened to 45s. There was no but, such thing as the electronic, the digital, you got to go back to. Yeah, I mean. You know how to pop on a 45? Adam, do you remember your first 45? I do. And it's funny because I try to think about what came before the 45s what was the first seed of excitement for me in terms of music exploding in my soul? And I just keep coming back to 1981, 82. And I had listened to music prior to that, the Bee Gees, the Beatles, me and my brothers would make recordings. I was the... You made videos. uh, I was the anointing. The rest of us watch. Sure, but this was even before (laughs) that. And... 81 or 82, I remember starting to really become immersed in pop music. And I was listening to WHTT, which was the pop station. I was listening to WBCN, which is the album rock station that my my mom had on the radio in the car. All the time. All the time. Those were the two big ones. Later on, I got into some other stations like WAAF. Give me a a song title. Okay, so the first 45s I can remember buying... Now, I have to frame this by saying my mom was always so nurturing of 
my love for music. She knew her it. sister, Susan, Susan O'Neill. Yes. She knew that there the was something happening. The family. <laughs> you <laughs> well, came from you're the all, You're all brilliant. <laughs> but, you know, my brothers and I all had a fascination with music. Dave subscribed to the Columbia House tape club and he mm-hmm. would get these these oh tapes my God, in the mail. Oh my God, that was that awful Thir- club that sent you a record 13, every week? 13 tapes for a nickel. But, oh my God. but there was fine print. They, they kept coming and charging you full price after those. I so free- remember that. <laughs> and we I had eight tracks in the car. We had an old Toyota where you'd stick to the seats oh, yeah, in the summertime. And, you know, Billy Joel and Don McLean, eight track tapes. Wow. Uh, our parents, tracks. you know, our parents, I know that I'm, I'm not staying linear on this, but our parents took us to concerts. I mean, I would try to swap stories with my friends in elementary school about the concerts that I and went to and, that they, and they went to and nobody else had gone to concerts. They had, they had no, they had no base of reference. Yeah. They had no base of reference. They didn't know what it felt like to have that feeling when the, when the live band starts, we, we saw Billy Joel very early on. I was about five or six years old and Neil Diamond. And I remember turning to my mom and saying, it feels like there's a band in my stomach. Ah! And it, it was this very magical kind of, I was, I was absorbing the music. I love that. Physically and spiritually at a very young age. And I, and the Jay Giles band was another big show for me in which I, I it was like I was finding religion. Yeah. There maybe, you that's, go. maybe that's why religion never really uh, sunk in with me over the years well, because I already not, had not one. in the classic sense, but you find right. it where you find it, you know? No, I was going to a- actually ask you because that, that sort of live music, I was watching the newscast last night um, and flipping around because at this point in time in the universe, in the history of our lifetime, it may be the most pivotal time that we'll remember. We'll look back. For my generation, Edge, it was, you know, where were you and JFK was shot? Yeah. Your generation and for your kids, yeah. your daughter, it's going to be where were you when COVID-19 came? And the yeah. opening last night of so many live concerts was covered by everybody. But I was watching CNN and MSNBC and people were crying. Mm-hmm. Why are you crying? Because... I, I can't believe that I'm out here with other people listening to live music. And yeah. it was, oh my gosh, I'll think of the lineup. They, were, they had a great lineup. The Grateful Dead was one of them. So that sort of feeling that you had when you were a little kid, it was, this is like the band is in my belly. I love mm-hmm. that. I think that should be one of uh, the title of a book. And it, might it was be- actually the original title for Paul McCartney's Band on the Run album was Band in My Belly. Stop it. <laughs> Is that true? No. I win. (laughs) (laughs) However, hire me as your agent. But so, so that was, I mean, that, that, that you knew right then. And I think people who love music know that. And people who don't love music right now, if you're listening to us now and you don't understand this, promise me that once the podcast is over, you listen to music, just go up Mm -hmm. on YouTube or somewhere, Spotify, whatever. But so, yeah, because that, that matters, that changes your whole life. So that whether it was the COVID, the, Music gave people and still does a sense of uh, hope, a sense of safety. Safety is a big thing. You know, there were certain songs that just bring you back and wrap you up, right? And, and a sense, of, a sense of identity too. I mean, yeah, right. You know, I Who think you are a lot in this of world. 
who we are in this world. I think a lot of us may have lost ourselves somewhere in the last year and a half because we have other people around us in our normal lives prior to COVID that allow us to to see that reflection of ourselves through our relationships, through our experiences, we understand who we are. And when we don't have those things, we really need to seek them out. And what music does is that even in these closed spaces, in these places that we're not able to thrive with other people, we are able to understand ourselves by listening to the music that we love. Exactly. And that was always something that was truly magical for me because I always felt a bit, you know, I was the youngest in a big family in terms of cousins and brothers and aunts and uncles. I was the baby in that era. And, and may I just remind you, you still are. And I still, I still (laughs) am. And not, you know, with that came sort of a a sense of, I I don't want to say isolation because that that's a negative word, but I did feel I had my own individual experience happening and music was, was the soundtrack to that experience. And going back to what we were talking about with 45s, I remember going to the village mall with my mom, village mall in Canton, Massachusetts. Not sure if that's still there, but it still is actually. Yeah. We, there was a side not, entrance that called, I would go to. It's not to. called that anymore. It's actually but not. It's called, isn't it? Is it Cobb's Corner? It's now? it's still called Cobb's Corner, but it's not a mall anymore. It's an outdoor. It's okay. you know, it's an outdoor mall, sort of. But there's no remnant of that. You can't go back and see it. So, no, but yeah. anybody that's listening can think of a time when they went to something as a child. So it's like a mall, or it's like a strip mall, or in this case, a village mall. But it's a place where you get good stuff, and it's fun enough. Just a large building. Big building with, with not a lot with not a lot of character from from my memory and it, until you came across that neon or dark it was like a neon sign said good vibrations it was the first oh, door wow. that you encountered when you came into this side entrance and some of my greatest memories were Saturdays when I spent time with my mom and you know, I had such a special, still do, special relationship with my mother. And she used to take me out on Saturdays to the Village Mall or the Walpole Mall or the South Shore Plaza. And she would go do her thing, get groceries, you know, clothes shopping, whatever she was doing. And then she would just let me run wild. And she would give me my allowance. And the allowance from the first allowance I can remember was dollar fifty to $3.00. And 45s were about $1.50. So with the $3, when I had that allowance at the time, I could buy 245s. And by bringing 245s home, you, you know, I, you can't really relate to it in today's generation because music is so accessible digitally. But what you were doing was you were taking home those sounds that you were hearing on the radio that were only, you could only grasp them by recording them on a cassette. And you had to sit there with your finger right. on the pause button, hopefully mm-hmm. trying to edit out some of the the witty rapport of the DJ. And you had these mixtapes of your, your favorite songs. But by bringing home the 45s, they were now a part of 
your life. They were part of your family. They were going to be a part of your household, and they were going to be. They were there, and you could you could put them on anytime. Put them on whenever you, you want. Put them on I, anytime. I was just going to say for those forty fives, what, what everything that you're saying is something I think everybody can relate to. And then yeah. when you say so today, it's so um, available digitally and everywhere it's everywhere in the life you get into a damn elevator which i actually i miss elevators but anyway i don't want to get sidetracked you you hear music right everywhere but the but the vinyl the plastic the 40 they're back they're back with a passion and i can remember you will relate to this i think when i went out shopping two winters ago before covid and i wanted to find a record player Mm-hmm. because two, three of my grandkids, who you know and love as your nieces and nephews, wanted them. And they're gorgeous now. They look like the ones that I wanted in high school. That's right. There's pink and this turquoise, and they were in all of the great stores. And they've rediscovered what a long playing album is and what a 45 is and what a 78 is. and what Because a- it's ownership. And, and digital it. music, it's, your thing. it's yours. And, and you're looking at the liner notes and the liner it, notes. Yeah. it was more magical. It was more mysterious back when we were kids because you didn't have, you weren't inundated with visuals that you are today. Or even the, the videos. It, or even the videos. The, the, videos the artists out. were, yeah, the artists were these mythical figures. And when you pulled out the liner notes and you looked at these pictures, you're like, oh my God, that's what they look like. And, and and what are they doing in this picture? They're in this back room and they're wearing sunglasses and they yeah. look super and sometimes cool. They have, sometimes they'd have all the lyrics on the back. And I yeah. can remember talking to um, one of my granddaughters who's particularly into folk music and saying, I recommended to her that she get the album. She could hear. I say, you can hear it on, on your phone, my God. But get mm-hmm. Bob Dylan's bringing it all back home. And awesome. turn it over and see subterranean homesick blues and see if you can read the words and watch the video at the same time because he had one of the very 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 first music videos i covered that song with a band out here in san francisco as a people was the name of the band and i had your first band right by the way i don't want to get lost here no 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 as a people was your first band and you were a teenager right no 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 as a people was san francisco peloria was peloria was the high school right right i'm sorry um See, so, yeah, there's Subterranean Homesick Blues. For those of you I who have... are joining us by video, you can see Subterranean Homesick Blues. And it was that first video where Bob Dylan goes through all of the cue cards. And that's Allen Ginsberg on the left, the bald head and the beard. Really? Yeah. Allen Ginsberg, who I who I met at, at UMass. Oh, wow. Allen Woo Woo Ginsberg. But we're going to, you know what, also, Dave, is, Dave, are you recording this video too? Oh, well, no, the, the video is for your edification. It's for me. You have so to at some point in time, I might to be our smart enough yes. and bright enough to share that too. But yep. I love that piece of story. And I want to get, though, from where you're at in high school, you yeah. come through this, you fall in love with music, you fall in love with 45s, your family is all musical and yay, yay. And you start mm-hmm. doing videos um, at home. You tape them with your brothers and your cousins, and you guys all act out everything. I mean, everybody in the family is like celebrating it. But it was you, Ange, that formed a band or got in a band, you and your buddies. We all came to see you at local stuff. I think people can appreciate that musicians uh, and non-musicians alike 
And at some point, I remember you telling me I'm going to San Francisco and Mm -hmm. my heart just filled. And I said, oh, you're going to love this. This is what you wanted to do. But the part of me that that knows you and loves you from a kid was thinking, how does he, where did he find the temerity? Where did you find the testicular fortitude Mm -hmm. to say, I'm moving. So talk to me a little bit about that, because I never got a chance to really hear that moment in your brain when you said, I'm going. Well, testicular fortitude runs rampant in the Yaz family. <laughs> that's true. Um, you guys have big ones. And that's know, good. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was it was my mom. My mom. Boy, does she know that? She's going to be listening, by the way. Of course. I, th- I think she does. My mom was always someone who pushed us to follow our hearts. Wow. And, you know, I, I also want to. dream. My obviously, my dad. I, I want to shout out my dad, who was an amazing dad and is a beautiful man. My mom was always that part of me that was a little less organized and a little more in the dream world. She pushed me to follow these these parts of my heart that I felt really close with. And when I decided that I wanted to take a step in some direction towards music being a bigger part of my life, she was in full support of that. And if she hadn't been, I wouldn't have gone because Um, I I love my family and I miss them all every day. mm -hmm. But I knew that if I had my mom's support and my mom's enthusiasm, that there was going to be no turning back. And she still to this day supports everything that I do musically and knows that I've always just had this in my heart that I wanted to be a performer and I wanted to make music and at, at whatever level, I just wanted it to be a big part of my life. So that was, that's the, ironically enough, it was the woman in our family who gave us the testicular, gave me the testicular (laughs) fortitude. I just say from someone in politics, your mom was obviously my sidekick and my campaign manager and everything as I went through the House of Representatives and then the run for uh, the statewide run. Let me just say, as far as the fabulous women in our family, that's had a big effect on my music, not to mention my motivation for making music. It's had a big effect on the kind of music I make. The feminine spirit and all that that entails, the electric vulnerability the unguardedness, the open-heartedness is something that, especially now in this solo project that I'm working on, because I've done a lot of different things over the course of my life, some some more masculine than others. This particular project taps into a lot of those parts of me that are that are just open-hearted, less vulnerable, less worrying about living up to some archetype rock and roll Robert Plant open chested mm-hmm. archetype. So I just wanted to say that that's that had a, a big part being surrounded by powerful, confident, beautiful women uh, really framed the way that we saw the world in so many ways. And it continues to this day in the way that I see the world. I just, I just love that. And it's going to be great for your beautiful daughter as well. And it's she can only benefit from that, of course. She's, <laughs> I, I was ecstatic to know that we were having a daughter 
when Zoe came. I'm telling you. Yeah, and she brightens up our family, and therein, Zoe's going to carry carry that on. And it brings me to when you say your new, your new project. Right now, I, I am reveling in this sort of a cultural shift and a yin-yang thing that we've got going on in the world. You know, I was watching a lot of the world coverage today. President Biden's uh, going off to try and restitch relationships with all of our allies and reset that tone. And as part of that, I was looking on the stage back here in the United States and across the world and thinking it's a very different world today for women, mm-hmm. for people of color, for people who don't speak language, uh, English as a first language. Kamala Harris was up there as our vice president. She'll probably be the first woman and first black and first Asian American president, one would think maybe in seven years. And so in music as well and in culture and the arts, it's, it's wonderful to hear you say that, the influence of women, because there's now an acceptance, too, across the board. When I first served in the legislature, when you guys were kids, I signed on to be a co-sponsor proudly of the first gay rights bill, second gay rights bill in the country, but uh, the first in Massachusetts. And after 17 years of other pioneers before me bringing it forward, my freshman year in the House of Representatives, we passed it by 14 votes out of 200. And the list goes on and on and on of all of the pioneers in the gay rights movement. But I look around today, nothing fills my heart more than to see the diversity in our world and Mm -hmm. in our culture and in our politics and in our families and in our music. When you start talking about that, in our music. So yeah, have you seen the documentary, you guys, that Pink did with her family? I I just saw that recently. Yeah, it was beautiful. Wasn't it? If anybody, if you guys haven't seen it, check it out. But She's I enjoyed amazing. it very much. She's a great mom and, and an incredible performer. A incredible performer. Can I just say a great athlete? I mean, yeah. I loved her music. I loved her sound. I loved her voice. I loved her message. But you got to see this documentary. She is like the flying Walendas up there. <laughs> yeah, she's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know how she does it. I, you know. I would get car sick. Can I just say I would get motion sickness doing this. I don't know how she's able across to the eight, the whole deliver a day. powerful vocal while she's upside down. Yeah, how does she doing... how does she sing and and climb ropes at the same time? I don't get that. Yeah. David I she mean, said not she even you can do that. Better upside down. She said that her agent told her she sings better cuz of her diaphragm, the way she practices. I don't know, Adam, what do you think? Well, you know, I've can never I... I've never tried it. Maybe I would be a great singer as good as Adam if I were Let's just if I just sang up. upside down. Yeah. What you want to pull, David? Can I tell Let's you I you. am not I am not a better singer upside down. Have you tried it? <laughs> no, but, you know, I try to be as stationary as possible. I plant my two feet as though I'm one of those action figures back in the day that had the two holes in the feet and you'd stick them to these little pegs. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, that's what I do. I just, I get my stance and I'm really not moving much throughout right. the course of a show. Maybe when I was younger, in Peloria, I in used Peloria, to jump around, around a lot. Was yeah, it Peloria I, when I came out to San Francisco and I saw you in that great little dark dive when I was still smoking and there was. I'm trying around. to think. I'm trying to think what you would have seen. I was with your mom. Was it a band or was it an open mic? It was, yeah, it was no, an open it was mic. A band and you were jumping uh, around. You were the lead. Oh. Uh, that was you, um, were, you, Peloria. If that might have been the Battle of the Bands. Um, oh. And you were in Peloria at the time, Adam. You mass. 
right? Isn't that, is that what you're talking about? Did, did she say San Francisco? No, I'm talking about San Francisco. Oh, I'm, talking I'm sorry. About, yeah, he and we went to have dinner, and then we went to this great little dive. It was what you imagine in your mind. Where great it was probably a band. Place. I was in a band when I first got out here called Stocking Tom. Uh, oh, Stocking Tom! I think that's what it was. It, it could have been that. That was. Was that pretty when, heavy metal? It was sort of brooding uh, rock. Right away, dark, brooding. dark brooding rock. It wasn't. It wasn't heavy metal. It had the influences were bands like the cure and u2 and bauhaus and it was just kind of like gothy brooding rock and that was my you know that was my first band out here i found those guys on craigslist from what i can remember how great is that yeah while i was doing open mics and that was the first thing i did when i first moved out here was i would spend time at these open mics Mm. an example would be i remember on tuesdays at the paradise lounge down on Folsom and 11th in San Francisco, you would come in, you'd you'd get a drink, you'd sign in. And sometimes you wouldn't do a set until two in the morning. Oh my God. And then I would get up for work the the next day, but it was just kind of, you know, paying your dues. Yeah. It was, it was a part of my process. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I felt like I was tapped into the pipeline of, of music in the in the bay area and what i wanted to do yeah Yeah. marge this is this is stocking tom right now i don't i don't think so (laughs) adam has so much music is there a different band on on spotify called stocking tom they're very well (laughs) no it looks like it looks like is there a picture no no there's no picture you know what though dave they probably it they probably aren't playing music that I was a part of. If it is Stocking Tom, oh, okay. Oh yeah. They. Um, I remember when after Stocking Tom, I left Stocking Tom to join the West Borland Project in Los Angeles, and we. That was a heck of a ride, wasn't it? It was, and we asked, or at the time, the record company asked me to ask the guys in Stocking Tom to take that music down, the music that I was a part of that we had recorded on for stocking Tom, oh, wow. which was, which was a very odd kind of awkward conversation I had to have with these guys. Like, Hey guys, I'm sorry. I left your band. Can you please remove any music we, <laughs> we created right now, you know, because Inter- Interscope records does not want it up wow. there. Yeah. But that's where, but that's the, uh, that's the journey that you wanted to take and you were moving and you were, you got into this wonderful world. Um, yeah. The ups and the downs of the big, big time in music. I remember having the. It was on. I was unapologetic about leaving San Francisco and going to Los Angeles. I remember having to tell the guys in Stocking Tom I was leaving, and my instincts were to to feel really bad about it because their their singer who they had been working with for a year was leaving and just on the cusp of us putting out a record. And mm. but I always knew that this was something I a path that I wanted to follow and I knew that stocking Tom as great as they were would have taken a lot more time to get to a place where I felt true true you know uh, out of the Bay Area success would occur so leaving San Francisco to go to Los Angeles with a project in which West Borland 
was at the helm who used to play for Limp Bizkit, still does actually to this day, I knew that it was an opportunity I had to leap on. And you wouldn't take it back for a second? No, I mean, no. I my heart was, was broken f- because of how it ended up turning out because that band it never came to fruition. It wasn't a marriage fruition. born in heaven, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as I got older and was able to put it into proper perspective, I absolutely wouldn't take it back. Oh, you can't. You know, I have this theory. It's also part of my obsession with the cubby that um, if a door is there and you're making a choice, you know, which is why I go back to Robert Frost at the open of, of, of our podcast, yeah. you know, two roads diverged in an open wood, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, you take the one less traveled by mm-hmm. and you can never in my world, here's where I'm paraphrasing the great Robert Frost, you can never second guess yourself you can't go back and say shoulda coulda woulda even if there was pain along the way even if there was trouble even if there was sorrows along the way you got to a place where you were supposed to be at that time it was the very best decision it was the very best decision to make at the time and so now here you are i just want people who don't know uh, you're really i called you in the beginning a renaissance man you're a renaissance man to me not just because of your great music but because you pick yourself up and off you go to the west coast and yeah. uh, you give this a try and you give that a try but you do two other things that are not public you become this amazing father mm-hmm. <laughs> which you revel in that role and you took your love for other people in your brilliance and you started being a teacher and that's you right want, yeah so that's when you say i got up for my my regular job have to show up for my job so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that because i feel like that's in your soul and it comes out of your music and then i want to play a little bit of your most uh, recent cut i wanted to a little bit david if you're in the studio if you can find that mm-hmm. cut of him on wild horse sun where it's Adam's soaring voice that he's known so well for, but some of our listeners haven't heard it. So, but first, Edge, you go yeah. and you and you want to teach. How does that work into everything? Well, I was looking for a job that I could that I could have while I pursued my musical dreams, and through the, my network of of wonderful people, I was able to find a job at a charter school in San Francisco, who specifically dealt with underserved youth, kids who weren't thriving in the normal high school environments. They would come to our school, there would be small classes, about eight kids per class. And you could really focus on the kids who got lost in the shuffle. And kids who were struggling, not only in school, but at home for various reasons. I started as a teacher. I began teaching English, American literature, and music, and I was not qualified to do either. I guess they. I guess uh, those who ran the school <laughs> didn't think so. No, they they felt otherwise. Uh, this yes. that was that was my thought. I was I was passionate and I was committed. So they they gave me that shot. I started teaching music from the blues to hip hop. I learned so much in that research process about the, the, the genesis of the blues and of jazz. It really helped me out in my exploration of music going forward. Don't but, you find that when you're teaching someone who doesn't know what you know, that you teach yourself? 
in the Absolutely. process of research. Oh, I, I learned so much yeah. about the material and about myself through these kids. But these kids were so were so beautiful. Their spirits so special, and they remain people that I hold in such high regard. I like I said, I was a teacher, and then I graduated to an administrative role. My role now is the dean of students at the school, so I have some really special relationships with these kids in which I'm able to explore their passions and their dreams and their struggles. And it's just been, it's been a wild ride through music and through this school that have shaped me into the person that's talking to you now. You know, I did, I love that for the listeners who, who know some of this common history, anytime that we would sort of check in with you, Adam, and you would tell us about what was happening with the kids at the school and whatever it was so analogous, almost like on a parallel track with the work I was doing in politics. Mm -hmm. And I was working in politics with hunger relief and homelessness, and particularly for uh, single women. And the investment of time that you make is really humbling, I found. And I think you found that too, that Mm -hmm. when you see changes and you have this wonderful opportunity for someone to come back and to say, you were at my high school graduation. Yeah. And I remember you said thus and so, and now I'm doing this and that. That's also something it just, again, talking about my honey, Chris, he did that in the culinary arts, started work with the culinary arts and particularly in the inner city in Boston and some wonderful high schools and some kids who were tough, tough and rough. And they made it hard on him and he stuck with them. And we run into them today and they have families and they have jobs that are uh, also bringing along younger people behind. They're leaving the ladder down. That's part of what I believe is the cubby circle. You know, you, somebody helps you and then you leave the ladder down for someone else and you, you get more out of it than, than they think they did. And well, I they think don't, that's your story. Well, these kids don't have a cubby, really, or, exactly. or, at, least, or at least they, they're not able to access a cubby. A lot of the homes that they live in, don't provide that sense of warmth and stability, which was why I was so honored to serve that role for a lot of these kids, especially as a male. So many of our kids are without dads. That's a pretty common denominator for a lot of our kids. So to provide a positive role model, male role model in their life that they can look to and see you know, because I have a daughter and I talk about my daughter all the time. Mm. It's really important in, in their exposure to a world that they're not familiar with. And I try to be an example for them when, I, see that when I'm in that, that role. For folks who haven't checked out the cubby, I don't want to go into a whole, you know, boring explanation about my epiphany, but I will over time. But if you want to read about it, in search of a cubby.com is my very simple blog that's got uh, the first three chapters of my emerging book on the cubby. But what you just said reminds me of the introduction, which is about this little kid when I was in the legislature, uh, and he's a six-year-old kid, homeless kid, his mom, beautiful woman who brought him into a hearing for one of my bills that was called the Up and Out of Poverty Bill. And basically, she asked him to speak for her because she was too upset. And he said two things that really grabbed me that you will appreciate because your kids, you'll see your kids in, in this. His name was Sean. And I said to him, well, why, why are you here today? And he said, because my mommy said, 
if you can get us health care and a place to live that's warm. Mm. That was the essence of this bill. And I kept him talking, kept him talking. And it turns out they had moved from shelter to shelter. His mom was a victim of domestic violence. And all of his stuff, Adam, was put in a hefty bag, Mm. moved from shelter to shelter. And as I was looking at him, I thought, my God, how different Sean's life is than my own son, Eric, at that age, who mm-hmm. had everything that he didn't have, like you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. He had the bunkie in, at home, and he had his room, and he had his family. He went to kindergarten for the first day and came home sobbing, and it took me 10 minutes to get out of him wine. He said, because they didn't have a cubby there with his name on it. He was mm-hmm. the only kid. Mm-hmm. And you know those little cubby boxes outside when you go to school, and it's out mm-hmm. in the coat room, right? Isn't that what we called it? And you put your jacket there, and you put your lunchbox, and yeah. or you, you leave a little piece of your banky so you can go and suck a thumb when you know you're feeling mm-hmm. insecure. And so I thought to myself that second when I was looking at this little boy Sean, and I thought if Eric could get so unglued at not having a cubby with everything that he's got to ground him. What must it be like for Sean mm-hmm. moving his stuff in hefty bags? Mm-hmm. And who will give him that cubby? Mm-hmm. And I prayed as they left that day that his mom could and that he could. But I think as a people, here we are again talking as a people. That's one of your beings. As, as a people, mm-hmm. isn't that just the basic thing that we can give a kid? Is mm-hmm. a roof over their head, right? A full belly and maybe one adult that they know will step in front of a Mack truck for them. That's right. That's, that's right. Cubby. And that's what yeah. you did for your kids. Well, and that's me what and, we can all do for everybody. My Yeah, the principal of my school is an incredible woman who who is the the pillar of that foundation. And I'm I'm just lucky enough to work under her. So, so she passed it on to you and your mom passed it on and so on and so on. So that's Inshallah. great. So I love you so much. You have a cubby. I know we don't have much more time left, but I do want to have everybody know what an amazing talent you have. So now, uh, Wild Horse Sun, is this your first single that you created, developed, produced, and released on your own? Without yeah. A- yeah. So, and, I, and I'll be succinct about this. <laughs> this is my first solo endeavor. I've been a part of many bands in my life. And this is the first project in which... I've pretty much, with the help of my friend Kahan, this incredible guy, um, I have, and I hear it, I can hear it. <laughs> we have mobilized in a way that I never have before um, in that we're, we've established our own record company. We are pressing the vinyl, you know, bringing it full circle. Um, we're doing everything on our own. And it's been it's been really special because, you know, I always try to make music that is reflective of who I am in the in the moment, who I am. It's a it's a way that I discover who I am. It's a way of me to figure out who I am at any given moment. And throughout my life, I've been at these varying stages of of confusion and passion and I feel like I'm at a point now in my life where things are starting to make more sense to me. I think that Mm. happens when you're in your forties, you start when you, and I have a child and I'm able to see things through a lens that's very clear. 
And so to be a part of a project from that perspective has has been really fulfilling for me. So um, this is a project that taps into a lot of those newfound uh, feelings of clarity, which is which is pretty awesome. And yeah, so so I've released two songs so far. The first one was called Wild Horse Sun. The second one is called Here From Afar, and that was just released a few weeks ago. And the goal is to mix the rest of the record this summer and put it out in the fall digitally, the whole album. It'll be eight or nine songs. And then the vinyl pressing will come after that. Awesome. I'm so excited. Let's play a little bit of Wild Horse Sun. And what I loved about this, so for folks who haven't heard this before, uh, there's a line in there about we're okay. So listen listen for that. And I hope, David, you're going to cue it up so that we can hear a little bit because it's the best of your voice yet and it's the best of the... It's the best of the message that that I took from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a <laughs> that's, that's a universal message, you know. Under um, the wreckage, we're okay. We're and at our fun. we're at our best when we're we're, when we're amidst our challenges. Oh man! So you we're know. gonna have that other to look forward to, and anything else that you want? You've got, you've got a largely Boston audience here, man. That um, Boston kid makes good. You kind of come back this summer and grace us on the Cape. Yeah, I would tell everybody just uh, have patience with Mac Jones as our quarterback. <laughs> and Cam Newton is still has some legs in him, so I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bruins broke your heart. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, that's more for my cousins, but... Um, yeah. David will fill you in. You know, I, w- I will say that Boston and New England will always have such a special place in my heart. I miss it terribly, and hopefully... When this album comes out, I'll do some of those those folks proud. You will, and you'll come back. You'll do your you'll do your swing through victory tour here. Thank you, darling. I love you, Adam Yaz. The name of his single is Wild Horse Sun. Wherever you listen to music, uh, yes. check out Adam Yaz. Right, uh, Wild yes. Horse Sun. And I love you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, uh, David, our fabulous producer. Um, this is In Search of a Cubby. I am always in search of a cubby and hoping that you will join me on the journey. And we'll go out with a little bit of Adam's second song off the album, Here From Afar. I love you both. Love you, baby. <laughs> A reminder to subscribe to In Search of a Cubby on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. Find more information at pod617.com. This is a production of the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.